A positive mindset can change your day and it can change your clinic. This week, we've got an expert on veterinary positive leadership to tell you what you need to know to keep your workplace happy and positive this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the toughest topics that we tackle every day in our own personal lives is how to maintain positivity. And more importantly, how can we create a positive workplace? And even more, more importantly, is how do we instill positive leadership? And today we've got a very special guest who's an expert in all things positive leadership-wise. And we're going to talk a lot about how you can improve your practice. But before we get into that discussion, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And today I'm so excited because we're joined by someone that I honestly love working with, uh, is a good friend of mine in the profession, but also just a great influence in the profession, helping us make a lot of positive change. So we're really excited to welcome Mr. Josh Weisman to the show today. He has his master's degree in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. So this guy is fully in to help us change mindset, be positive, and help kind of turn around some of this negativity we might be seeing in the industry. So Josh, thank you so much for being here. Becky, Dr. Ernie, thanks so much for having me, guys. It's a, it's a real delight to be here with you this morning. And Josh, I don't think there's been a more important time in history for us to talk about positive leadership <laughs> and culture, because I'm going to be honest with you, the past year and a half or so has been a real struggle for a lot of us. I mean, you know, let's face it, you know, clinic tension is at all time highs. We're dealing yeah. with shortages of drugs and employees. We're dealing with curbside service. I mean, come on, Josh, this is the time we need people like you. So before we get started with how you're going to help us, tell us a little bit about what you do right now. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, and I, I want to acknowledge absolutely what you're saying is what I hear every single day. There are some very real, valid challenges going on in our profession, more so than we've ever faced in the past. You know, I, I, I kind of joke that uh, veterinary medicine is hard work. It's, uh, you know, emotionally taxing, psychologically and physically taxing. And that was what it was like two years ago. And over the past year and a half or so, I mean, it's like the level of difficulty has has grown to a capacity that none of us have really ever faced in our careers. So, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So so what I do is um, I uh, with Flourish Veterinary Consulting, we try and help veterinary practices sort of create an environment that enables the maximum opportunity for people to really thrive in their work and find that sustainable fulfillment that that we really feel every veterinary professional deserves. So we, we take what the science tells us contributes to those kinds of things in an organizational context, and then we distill them down in ways that are digestible and applicable, uh, primarily so that those in leadership can really apply these in the cultural foundation of a veterinary organization and and make it a part of who we are every day. So Josh, who who's your main client? Like, is it individual practitioners or vet techs? Is it clinics? Is it organizations? Uh, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, so really kind of like the, the flagship work that we do is gonna be on an organizational level. So we'll work with an entire veterinary hospital or a group of veterinary practices or, you know, a consolidation group, any of those uh, who wanna make a systemic change 
uh, for the better uh, throughout their culture. Uh, that said, we do also, you know, do a lot of uh, leadership coaching and things of that nature. And so we work with individuals as well to help them in their individual leadership capacity. Okay, so Josh, one of the things, you know, obviously, you know, I've been involved in this sort of area for quite a long time. One of the things that we've always sort of been challenged by is the fact that the people that need help like this the most are not the people that are calling you up, right? I mean, so I, I, I can remember going to clinics where everybody was on board and it's like, I don't really have anything to do here, guys. You guys are already sure. awesome. And then you, yeah. you would see this other clinic that you're like, they desperately need help, but yet they refuse. So how do you reach the people that really need it the most? Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. Uh, you know, I sort of have two answers to that. And part of that is a bit of a yes. And, uh, you know, I do agree that often it's the folks who, who probably really truly need these kinds of interventions and these, these ways of being that are not actually seeking it. But, but I would venture to say that it's not always that way. You know, I think one of the, one of the waves of change that I'm starting to see in the industry is, uh, this recognition that, you know, well-being, professional thriving, sustainable fulfillment, all of these kinds of things that we are after are so much more than, you know, just compensation or just work-life balance. And, you know, we've been focused on on those kinds of facets for so many years. And that's great. I'm, I'm truly grateful. I, I really do feel that so many folks who work in this field are, uh, you know, totally unfairly underpaid. And, and deserve to be paid more, especially folks like, uh, you know, who work on the support side of things, uh, credential technicians, uh, CSRs, kennel techs and the like. Uh, you know, I see even managers uh, who, who work for large practices, multi-doctor hospitals uh, that, are, that are paid just, you know, smaller wages than the manager of, say, a fast food restaurant down the street. And, and so I think that's a problem. And I think that the, the work-life balance side of things and the number of hours that we put in and the number of hours that we're at work and how long we're working without a break, I think those things are a problem. And I'm, I'm grateful that there are people focused on those things. And we realize that the absence of a problem is not necessarily the problem presence of wellness. Right. Or, you right. know, put it another way, you, you could be not burnt out in your work and not thriving at the same time. And I think that, I think that some hospitals, some people in leadership positions, some organizations are starting to recognize this. They're starting to see that, you know, listen, we've got sort of the tangible objective side down. We sort of get it that, you know, we've got to make sure we don't overwork our people, that we pay them fairly, you know, those kinds of things. And still, we're not really quite where we want to be and we don't know how to get there. And those are the folks who come to us for help on how to kind of take it to the next level. I think that is, you know, for a lot of people where they want to get. And, and I love that you said not having a problem doesn't really indicate an absence of a problem, right? Like you don't have to be sick to be unhealthy. And I think, you know, health and wellness are sort of different. So, what are some of those indicators? Like if people like, what do you help people, you know, as tools to recognize when they are maybe not optimizing their well-being in their daily life, work or personal that starts to kind of spill over? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, Becky. Um, I have a couple answers to that as well. You know, one of the things is I think intuitively we kind of get it. You know, we, we sort of sense it, we feel it. Uh, there's, there's a writer who I'm a big fan of Mark Manson. Maybe you guys have heard of him. He, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's written some pretty great books and, uh, he posted something recently in his newsletter about like, if you have to ask 
if you're, if you're, you know, in a state of well-being, then you're probably you're not. not. <laughs> right? Right, right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, yeah, I think people kind of get it on one, on one level. And then, you know, the other thing that we do is we, we do do a lot of actual, you know, evidence-based measuring of this for organizations. You know, as veterinary practitioners, when, when a dog comes in and they ain't doing right, right, you know, they're in that state of ADR, what are one of the first things we do? We run diagnostics. We want to see, like, what's underlying here? Where are the issues? Where are the areas of opportunity? We'll do the same thing with veterinary practices. We'll, we'll conduct an evidence-based survey, a pulse check, if you will, to collect the well-being blood work of that organization so that we can see, hey, these are the areas that actually are pretty strong. And it seems like, you know, as a group, you're doing really well here. And here are the areas where you could be even better. And, and, you know, identify those things for them. So that's one way to do it. You know, one thing that I use a lot, I actually do this uh, a lot in my virtual presentations. I'll take a live poll and I'll ask a question that comes out of some of the research in positive psychology. And it tends to be a pretty good indicator of the presence of productive resiliency. And we'll ask people, you know, just think about the last 30 days, just overall, all things considered over the last 30 days, which one of these statements most resonates with you? Do you feel like you've been consistently thriving over the past 30 days? Do you feel like, you know what, I'm doing pretty well despite the struggles and challenges that I've faced? Do you feel like, nah, I'm not doing bad, I'm just kind of getting by? Or do you feel like you've been consistently struggling? And the two of you, as I'm asking that, are probably already thinking about which one fits for you. And I'll tell you what I routinely see, even these past several months, there's always, you know, a couple people in the veterinary space who say, yeah, actually, I've been consistently thriving. I've been doing really well. And there's always, you know, a slightly larger number of people who say that they've been consistently struggling. The bulk of people tend to report that they're doing well despite struggle or not doing bad, just getting by. And both of those are some level of resiliency. And when we see people in that sort of like consistently thriving state and, and we look around at the context of what's going on, we start to question, are they really <laughs> experiencing right, right. the world that we're experiencing right. right now? But when we see people in that doing well despite struggle, we start to think to ourselves, that's kind of what resiliency is, isn't it? That's the indication of a strong, positive environment that says, listen, you know, things are hard right now and I'm finding a way to respond productively to the challenges that I face. And so that to me is an indication that, that things are going pretty well. Any one of those other three categories, I start to question, hey, maybe there's a little bit uh, deeper digging we need to do. Okay, so Josh, one of the topics that we talk about a lot on the podcast uh, for the last four and a half years, quite frankly, is what do you do if you have a manager, a boss, who isn't with a positive mindset, who doesn't have positive leadership, who isn't a good boss, I mean, quite frankly, right? I mean, we've talked about very specific examples over, over the years. So you're in that situation and you want to do better, right? You're, you're getting by, you're, you're trying to do your best, but yet every day your biggest obstacle is your boss. What do you yeah. say to that person who's listening today? Yeah, that's a really wonderful question. I'm so glad that you brought that thing up. Uh, you know, that that's a question that I get frequently, and it's something that I've encountered myself as well. Um, I have a little bit different view on that these days than I used to. I'll tell you, Ernie, I, I have this belief, and, and, and I want to stress that this belief is based both in the literature and my personal experience. Over the last, you know, four plus years of doing this kind of work, I've had the fortune of meeting literally thousands of veterinary professionals all across this wonderful country that we live in, uh, in Canada, even in Europe, 
uh, some in Australia. And what I consistently find is that the vast majority of the time, and I really believe this, I think I'll probably end up taking this belief to my grave. The vast majority of the time, I'd venture to say like 999 out of a thousand, it's not bad leaders. It's good people leading poorly. And, and that to me isn't an indication of a flaw of character. That to me is an indication of a lack of skill. You know, it'd be like if we, if we asked you, Ernie, listen, you've been through the first year of vet school. I want you to start performing surgery now. Go do it. Right. You, you would have a little bit of basic knowledge of what you're doing, but you'd also be mortified and terrified and you would probably screw a lot of things up. But I think that's kind of what we do with most of the people in leadership positions in veterinary medicine. Hey, you've got, you know, just enough that I feel confident that I can push you into this position of leadership where you have an incredible amount of influence and impact on the environment and people around you. But I'm not going to empower you with all the skills you need to lead well. So along with that, I think what ends up happening is we as leaders do the best we can with what we have. And we often don't really realize we don't have the insight. We lack the self-awareness, not because we're flawed, but because we're human to see the impact that we have on people. So when I hear about, oh, I've got this bad boss, I've got this bad leader, I feel that. I've experienced that too. It is really incredibly difficult to work underneath somebody who you feel like is making your life worse every day. And it's entirely likely that that person has no clue that they're having that impact on you. And if you can find a way to help them see that productively, you know, not not yell at them or berate them, not tell them what a POS they are or anything like that, but, you know, really have the time to sit down with them and say, listen, you know, Becky, I know that you're doing the best you can. And, you know, for the most part, I think that you're doing great at leadership here, but you know, when you say X, it kind of makes me feel Y. And, and I feel like that's maybe not your intention. Can we talk about that? You know, if we can have that conversation, it can open people's eyes a lot and help them see that, hey, you know, actually the way that you're doing things, you could probably do them a little bit better. And we can actually give that gift to a leader. Hey, Becky, we haven't been screwing up people for the past 30 years. That's great. <laughs> great news, Josh. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, though, it's it, it is something that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, right? The we hear like, oh, use the I statements and you yeah. know, working off of getting defensive and emotional intelligence, and it's like a big kind of ball of wax. Yeah. But I think you know, when you were going through kind of those questions, I was thinking to myself about how most of my days are good, and a lot of people I know most of the days are good, but the bad days are really bad. And so one thing that was kind of occurring to me is how this becomes contagious in the practice, right? Like one person comes in, they're just having a, I don't know, their computer won't boot. Their friends like got canceled. <laughs> right, right. I don't know, crazy morning. Yeah. And then it kind of spreads through the clinic. So what do you do to pump the brakes when <laughs> in an overall good situation, it's never perfect. So it's like, great, on a day-to-day, -day, we're fine. But man, when things unravel, do they ever unravel? So what does that yeah. pause button look like? That's a wonderful question. Yeah, you know, I for a specific situation, um, it, it, it gets a little bit more challenging without knowing the full context. But generally speaking, I think one of the things that, um, you know, that really needs to change for us that, I, I you know, we are really striving to change and we're, we're starting with leadership uh, because I do believe that leaders have the most influence in this 
you know, we, we have a tendency naturally. This is a normal human state. We want to look at things as either or. We want to we look for black and white, right? And so it can be very easy then when somebody's, you know, most of the time they're doing really well, but then every so often they have a really horrible day. And as you put it, Becky, like exceptionally bad day, then we start to define them as that bad day. Uh, and that's kind of an either or way of thinking. Put another way, I think we have this view of professionalism in our uh, in our field and really in this country that uh, you know that that sort of uh, expects people to be a wholly different human being or a wholly incomplete human being at work. Like you're supposed to you know excise a part of your brain out before you walk into the hospital, leave it in a box at the front door, and then when you leave to go home, you can put that part of your brain back in. But that's not really how it works. We're wholly human at work, just like we are outside of work. Sometimes what I see is that we have a little bit of intolerance for the ugly. We have a little bit of intolerance for the normal human, you know, uh, variations in how we feel and how we act and the energy we bring and our ability to respond and the ebbs and flows of our resiliency in the day to day. So that's a very long winded way of saying, I think one of the, one of the ways to put a pause on it is to just recognize it, just start with you know what, Becky, I feel like you're, you're really struggling today. Can you tell me what's going on? I think that's an incredible way to offer somebody an empathetic pause opportunity instead of, you know, Becky's really getting on my nerves, Ernie. She seems to be having a horrible day today and it's really driving me nuts. I wish she wouldn't have come in today, which is typically the way that we do respond to those kinds of things. And that doesn't help anybody. That just creates an environment of rumination. So I, I think the first way that we pause is we, we, uh, we recognize that we're struggling here. And then step two is to honor it. Struggle is real. It's valid. People are not always at their best. Nobody is. I'm not. None, neither of you are. Nobody in this profession can ever be expected to be at their best 100% of the time. I think we need to honor that, like truly honor that, not just intellectually, but in the way we are in our day to day. And I think leaders have a great opportunity to model this kind of behavior. Yeah. yeah. And I think, Josh, that's that's really an important point, because uh, like you, I have focused most of my, you know, sort of efforts at leadership because they do set the tone for the enterprise. And so, you know, like I always say, the personality of the clinic, it's 100 percent on the owner, right? The p- people in charge of that clinic. So if your clinic is filled with tension and friction and negativity and gossiping, then I'm going to say that's on the owner, right? I mean, I'm always yeah. going to put it right back. I mean, we could lump management into that as well, but you understand and the picture of leadership that I'm trying to paint here. So I think yep. it's important for us to note that. But at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you, you keep pointing out, and I want to re- revisit for just a second, is our personal accountability. Because if you mm-hmm. are in an environment that is wholly negative, I mean, you've really got two choices, right? You can try to change it from within, and that can be challenging <laughs> for most of us. You know, you can mm-hmm. go to another clinic or whatever. But, you know, what, do you, what advice do you give to that? Again, getting back to that individual who's listening today who feels powerless— and they don't feel like, you know, I, if I go up to my management and they and I say, hey, you know, when you do X, I do Y, it makes me feel Y. They're going to throw a brick at me, right? Yeah, I mean, because yeah. that's just human nature. And so what, what kind of advice, again, for personal accountability? How do you sort of fortify that resilience with an individual to keep them having more good days than bad days? I hope that made some sense there. I think so. I think I think what you're asking, Ernie, is, uh, you know, what kind of advice do I have for folks who are, you know, you you are the CSR or, you know, you're the, the, the newest tech on the team and you feel like your tech supervisor, your tech manager is just 
toxic and and how do you deal with that kind of person right and, and josh and i think also a lot of people are afraid to bring this up with leaders because they feel yeah. like the the consequences will be dire like if i bring yeah. this up to them oh yeah. i'm going to be paying holy you know what yeah um you're touching on something here that is an absolute absolute passion of mine uh it's a phenomena that i knew nothing about when i was a hospital owner and hospital manager and by golly i wish that somebody had taught me about this concept you know uh, over a dozen years ago uh you're touching on a phenomena in the team environment known as psychological safety and you know the the truth of the matter is is that what my advice to that individual is your options are essentially, this is an oversimplification, but your options are essentially find a way to productively bring that to your leader's attention. So not in an accusatory way, not in a, you know, Ernie, you are the worst leader I've ever worked for kind of way, because that's just going to put you on the defensive and you are likely to have repercussions from that. But, you know, in an open way, in a conversational way, in a way that brings some curiosity to the table, you know, Ernie, I've noticed that every time I, uh, you know, am a little bit slow on the uptake with uh, jumping into help, you know, the other techs with restraint, that you kind of scowl at me and, you know, I feel like I'm really letting you down. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So what that's doing is that's sort of reversing the table. It's a bit of a coaching approach rather than demanding that you behave in a different way. It's asking you to. It's asking you to recognize the impact that you're having on me and allowing us to have a conversation around that. That's option number one. Yeah, okay. Well, and before we get to that, number two, just quickly, viewfinders. I mean, again, Josh is once again stating that you have to take some personal accountability. Like, you have to take the action because otherwise you just sit back and passively, you know, absorb this negativity and it turns you into a negative person, quite frankly, in the end, and you're not changing anything. So I love that Josh says, hey, option one, you got to find a way to productively solve this. And, and actually, Ernie, if it's okay, I'm going to push back on you just a touch here. I... I I feel a bit uncomfortable with the have to take accountability. For me, it would be more of an encouragement. You know, I, I would encourage you to try and take this level of accountability and address this directly with that person if you can. Sure. Option number two, of course, is the one that we hear about a lot, which is leave. Like if the environment is really that bad, you don't deserve to be in that toxic of an environment. You do have the wherewithal and the power to up and leave. And I recognize that that's really difficult to do in some situations and so on and so forth. I don't, it's very rare that I directly tell somebody just leave. Uh, but, but sometimes, you know, that is one of our options. And then of course the, the, um, the uh, third option, which is now escaping me, um, is to, uh, uh, you know, address, well, I guess you could address it with somebody higher up um, or you could find a way to just tolerate it. Uh, you know, maybe really, truly leaving is not an option. Maybe it is too terrifying to talk to this person or too risky. Uh, and if you could find a way to tolerate it. The, the challenge with this is uh, this goes back to this concept of psychological safety. And why I really wanted to talk about this based on, on this particular moment in our conversation. The challenge is, is that all of these levels of accountability require a certain amount of courage. And, and what we're doing is we're, we're essentially creating an environment where we're expecting everybody in the environment to just have that level of courage from the get-go. And the truth is, is that where we do have a certain amount of personal accountability, we all do, like our lives are our lives, right? Nobody can live our life for us. And we are also part of a social context. And so there's, there's both a, you know, kind of a given pull, if you will, 
or a push and pull of sort of the, the personal and the social at work, this creates a very complex system that unfortunately there's very rarely, you know, simple, uh, um, silver bullet solutions to, and this goes back to psychological safety. So psychological safety is this phenomena with, that we find within a team environment. It tends to be in an occupational context that basically says that, listen, you know, in this team, it is safe to take what we call interpersonal risk. It is safe to go to Ernie and say, hey, listen, you know, this has been happening and I know that you're not just going to you know, freak out on me or punish me or I'm not going to lose my job because of it. It is safe to, you know, hey, guys, listen, I think I just screwed this up. Can somebody help me with this? Right, right. It is safe to be like, hey, actually, this is not a skill I'm very good at. I don't know how to do this. I need somebody to teach me. It is safe to say, well, you know, it seems like everybody else gets it, but I don't get what we're talking about here. I'm going to raise my hand and ask about it. All of those kinds of things. This is an environmental phenomenon. We create this. It is not the natural state of affairs. In fact, some data suggests that somewhere between 60 and 75 percent of teams are completely lacking in psychological safety. Sure. So if we think about this, what we're doing is we're telling team members in roughly 60 to 75 percent of teams it is unsafe here for you to take interpersonal risk. And if you want to change something, you have to take interpersonal risk. I'm, I love that you bring that up in the sense that like that safe place is a lot. We've talked about that so much on the podcast in terms of creating a really positive culture. And I guess in, in the few minutes that we have left, I just want to talk a little bit about that initiation. So if you're a new manager coming into a clinic where things are not psychologically safe, where there is not positivity in the leadership and in the team, or perhaps you're a technician or a veterinarian who comes on to a new team where this is the case, can you talk a little bit about the change factor? Because change can be so hard. And even though we know once we kind of get over that hump, it's going to be all downhill and amazing, <laughs> but just getting there can be so hard. So what do you recommend to managers or staff that need to help initiate or be a part of change. Hey, Josh, yeah. I want to get to the downhill part because I'm, I'm, I'm 30 years in and I'm still going up and down and up and down. And up and down. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I feel you. I feel you in that. Yeah. But to, the downs feel so good because of the ups, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, Becky, that's it. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you asked that. Uh, you know, I feel like change is difficult in the absence of value. Um, once we see the value of the change, actually change is pretty easy for us as human beings. I mean, we, we make changes pretty much every day based on things that seem valuable and worthwhile to us. So the question is, how do we instill a bit of value? And so, you know, one of the recommendations uh, that, that I often sort of default to, especially for you know, new leaders or leaders entering a new environment, um, is simply just to model what you want to see, model the behaviors that you want to see, like over and over and over again, consistently with intention, with effort, on purpose, model it. And psychological safety is a really great one to model. I, I personally, so I'm writing a book right now on positive leadership for AHA, and it's based on this uh, positive leadership framework that I've developed uh, pulling from a variety of uh, areas of research like positive psychology, positive organizational scholarship, and, and the like. And I think the foundation of positive leadership and the foundation on what we build a positive culture in a veterinary practice is psychological safety. If we're lacking psychological safety, it's really hard to get to all the rest of the good stuff. Yeah. And so we, we've got to cultivate that. So I'll tell you about one way that you can model this. This is a very, very tangible thing that anybody can do. And it's based on a piece of research done by Adam Grant. 
So Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist at Wharton Business School, who I 100% nerd boy over. My One of my greatest claims to fame is that um, I got Matt Salloy, the chief economist at ABMA, to ask Adam Grant a question on my behalf at last year's ABMA conference when Adam Grant was, uh, he did like a, a, an interview with him. And then I, I emailed Adam about some of his response. And within two hours, he sent me back a link to two pieces of research based on his response. And I still have it saved in my inbox. Uh, but anyway, Adam did a piece of research with uh, the Gates Foundation. Uh, Melinda Gates brought Adam Grant in to the Gates Foundation. They wanted to elevate psychological safety throughout the organization. And they did some measurement and they did some training on it. And it did have some impact, but the impact didn't seem to last. Uh, so they saw a boost to the overall presence and scores, uh, self-reported scores of psych safety. But then over a few months time, it seemed to dissipate back to where it was before. So they tried something different. Adam had Melinda, who's at the very top of the Gates Foundation, right? Record a short video. Now, the reason that she did a video is because it's a very large organization. They wanted to be able to easily disseminate this to everybody. If you're a small veterinary practice, two, three, four, five doctors, a team of 20, 30, 40 people, you, could, you don't have to do this in video form. But they did a video. The video was very brief, just a couple minutes. And it was simply this. Melinda talking about a mistake, an error, a stumble that she had in her leadership in the past at the Gates Foundation and what she learned from it. That's it. Just telling the story of, you know, I had this epic error. I totally screwed this thing up. It was awful. I felt like a total moron. I, you know, I felt like, why am I in this position? You know, all the imposter syndrome stuff that we all get. And because I went through this experience, this is what I learned from it. And actually, I'm really grateful for these lessons. And then they sent that video throughout the organization. They saw an immediate boost to psychological safety scores. And when they rechecked, I it was either three or six months later, those scores had sustained. That's how we model it. You see, as leaders, we're always sending a message of what's tolerated and not tolerated in our environment. And we have a ton of influence over those things. So when we send the message that, you know, mistakes, speaking up, sharing voice, contrarian views, challenges, learning is not tolerated here, whether that's intentional or not, that's the message that's received and people will act accordingly. So if we can learn to model, you know what, it's okay to be human here and we're going to learn from it together because we're striving towards a higher purpose for our work here. We're trying to be the best version of ourselves and we recognize that we're not there yet and we need to work to get there. And there's going to be stumbles along the way, but we're going to stumble forward together. If we can model those kinds of behaviors as leaders, we can start to change that culture over time. Those behaviors become habits. Eventually, those habits are the norms of how we do what we do. And that's the bedrock of culture. Well, gosh, you know, uh, we, we could talk all day about this, uh, Josh. I really appreciate you taking the time to share some of your expertise and experiences with the Viewfinder family. Uh, if they want to find out more, if they want to help get help from you, where, where can they go? How can they contact you? Yeah, so uh, you can go to our website, which is flourish.vet, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H dot vet, V-E-T. Uh, you can follow me personally on LinkedIn. I post a ton of stuff on LinkedIn. I write regular blog posts about this stuff and, you know, tangible advice. I'll take a piece of literature from the research and crack it down to, uh, you know, the actual day-to-day -day level. And you can find those things on the website or following me on LinkedIn. And then, of course, we're on Facebook as well. It's just uh, Flourish of Veterinary Consulting. 
Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. So really, really good advice, viewfinders. Uh, we de definitely want to hear what you have to think about this. Uh, you know, are you in a workplace that has psychological safety or is that something that you can only aspire to? We'd really like to hear from you. Yeah, and you know, honestly, just go read Josh's pieces because he is so upbeat. You personally just feel better <laughs> after you talk to, hang out, watch Josh. So any opportunity you have to learn from him, I know I have over the years and I'm grateful for your time this morning to you know, just help bring some tangible reminders to our clinics. Um, I know I recommend this a lot to you guys, but play this out loud in your practice so everybody <laughs> gets to hear the suggestions. <laughs> so don't make them come find it. And then when you're done, head over to Facebook. Let us know how it went. You can find us at Veterinary Viewfinder or on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. And you know, in 120 characters or less, talk to Dr. Ernie at Twitter. <laughs> at that viewfinder so again josh weissman thank you so much for joining us today on behalf of the entire viewfinder family we want to wish you a wonderful wonderful summer and guys we can't wait to talk to you next week bye 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 uh, i think that was great I, excellent yeah i really enjoy it uh you know the the questions that you guys have the interaction um your reflective listening it's it, it, it sure, really was sure. wonderful thank you